Counsel the Word, a podcast of the Center for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship. I'm your host, Keith Palmer, and today we're going to be talking about discipling and mentoring men. We have a special conversation ahead of us today here on the podcast. Earlier this spring, our church was thrilled to have Dr. Rick Holland lead a men's conference here at our church. Rick is the pastor of Mission Road Bible Church in Kansas City, and he also serves as a faculty member for the Expositor Seminary. He also served for 25 years at John MacArthur's Church in Southern California, where he served for many of those years as the pastor of the college ministry. Well, for decades, Rick has discipled and mentored literally hundreds, if not thousands of men to grow in maturity in Christ and their faith and also to be equipped for ministry. So while Rick was here on our campus earlier this spring, I had the privilege to interview him about the topic of discipling and mentoring men. And what you're about to hear is a recording of my conversation with him. Tell us your testimony. Tell us how you ended up at Grace Community and... and um kind of give us some context on that part of your life yeah well i am this year it's kind of a a strange uh, it's a blessing of a year they're going to celebrate on a weekend they won't tell me anything about it but my 10 years there which is also my 40th year in ministry because i started as an intern right out of high school so um which was full-time work and part-time pay uh as and and the pay wasn't very good yeah uh so started then i was saved as a High schooler in the tenth grade, listening to John MacArthur on on the radio, and didn't even know who was it was John MacArthur. I was working at a pool and uh, heard a man talking from John chapter. It's kind of a long story, but the short of it is, I, I, I was a, a lifeguard at a YMCA indoor pool. Showed up at five o'clock on a Saturday morning to open at six to scrub the side with soda ash is what we did mindlessly flipped on the radio and started working and uh, the guy the night before had left it on WMBW Moody Station and uh, John MacArthur was preaching and I, I didn't know who, who he was at the time but he was in John chapter 8 um, <clears throat> um, by this you'll know them they'll, they'll, um, uh, by this we know that you're truly a disciple if you um, abide in his word and uh, I remember thinking I don't, I don't even know what that means I don't abide in, in his word and he explained it to me to the radio audience, and I, I literally in that moment, on my knees with scrubbing soda ash, thought, I, I want to abide in Christ. It wasn't, there was no big flashing lights or anything. I just know that my life radically changed after that. I instantly had a hunger for the Word. A man in the church began to, we're going to get to this, I know, disciple me, and never used that word. We met on Thursday mornings before school, about 5.30, and we went through Colossians, and he talked to me about my life, and... Uh, it made a profound difference in my world. I was fin- finished up at the University of Tennessee, Chattanooga, went out to um, uh, seminary and uh, did my uh, MDiv there, Went met Kim. We went back to uh, Detroit for a few years, then came back in um, uh, 97. If you put it all together, it's about 24 and a half years. We came back in 97, and you came in... In 98. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. I was going to say pretty soon after we were back. Um, and uh, then in 2011, uh, I, I had always wanted to be a senior pastor. And um, it, the longer you're at Grace, the more they put on your plate and they never take anything off. So I had about five jobs, literally. And I, I just said I, I wanted MacArthur's job, not to be the pastor of Grace Church. But I, I, I was spending my life facilitating him doing what I wanted to do, which was pastor, shepherd, teach. And about 70% of my job was administration and 30% was hands-on ministry. And as, as you know, it's, that's, you never get rid of the administration, but now it's the exact right. opposite. And uh, this church in Kansas, was uh, we visited, we loved it. They asked us to come and we came in 2011. That's great. That's great. So you already started to answer this question, but... Who were the men that poured into you either now or, or maybe it was, you know, uh, someone through, in church history through their writing? Who, who were your mentors and what did they do that bolstered your faith? 
Yeah, my first mentor really was was John MacArthur on the radio. I mean, I <clears throat> this is embarrassing, but I used to arrange my my class periods around uh, University of Tennessee Chattanooga around Grace to You, and would go out and listen to Grace to You until my battery would die and I get jump started by people. Um, so he was my first mentor, and I didn't even know what that meant except that what he was saying was so compellingly biblical. And I could look in the verses and see what he believed was based on Scripture. Um, and I was telling the guys at the table, I, I, Keith, I literally remember where I was when I had this thought. What a great idea. Like when you preach, what a great idea to explain, explain Bible verses. Bible, yeah. yeah, I thought, that's just genius. Who hasn't thought of this before? <laughs> um, and uh, so he was one. But uh, Bob Patterson, that guy in high school, he just... He poured into me, and then I was, uh, when I was a, a junior high pastor at Grace. And, and you a, said he met with you in the morning before school, yeah, just going through Thursday Colossians mornings. and applying it to your life. Let's talk about Colossians. And he expected me to read it and uh, have an idea of what it meant. And, and so what? So what? So what? Why does it matter? Um, and uh, this was long before the biblical counseling movement, but was, was giving me homework. If I showed up unprepared, I remember one time he said, yeah, you know, I, I wasn't prepared. He says, "Have you have you looked at this? Have you read?" I said, "No." He says, "Then we're not going to meet this morning." Wait a minute! I got up, you know. <laughs> uh, but that was great for me. I needed to hear that. Um, so, uh, and there was another man in, when I was in seminary who poured into me and really shaped my philosophy of ministry. And being at Grace, being around the elders out there, just seeing them and. Showing up at elders meetings and, and listening to them talk about life and ministry. It, it, um, so there was formal, informal, kind of osmosis and, and, and deliberate kind of discipleship that happened in, in my life. Um, Any others since then? Books? Other people that poured into you? Obviously, at some point, you, you get to work with John MacArthur. Right. So John, John was a mentor, a mentor when I worked with him, for sure. And, um, uh, you know, I loved working up close to him. You, he's the real deal. You know, he's put, he eats potato chips and watches college football on Saturday, just like us. And he, but he's, uh, he's a real guy. I, you know what I learned from John that you probably wouldn't, in fact, I would say you don't see, is <clears throat> even though there's 7,000 people in the church, he is hardly, I can't say this in the last year, because of COVID, hardly a day goes by that he doesn't call someone or visit someone in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Incredibly pastoral. Um, and when I was working as his associate, as assistant rather, I, I remember he said, I need you to be eyes and ears for me. If someone needs my attention, I want to give it to them. And so one of my, my jobs was to say so-and-so is having a baby, so-and-so is in the hospital, they're going to have surgery. And he would go. It's just really, really encouraging. Mm-hmm. So he was a mentor. In terms of reading, most of my mentors are dead. Um, J.C. Ryle, I don't know that, that anyone has had an as ongoing, consistent impact on me as, as J.C. Ryle did. He was a contemporary of Charles Spurgeon. He was an Anglican who actually was more Baptistic than most Anglicans uh, ever have been and uh, premillennial and uh, just really uh, profound. His writings are still... They still minister to me. Um, uh, different people at different times. It's kind of funny. People say, what books have had influence in your life? Books had influence. I've read books at certain points in my life that had an impact that I went back years later and didn't have qu- quite the same oomph. Um, and then I've read books that I read when I was younger and said, wow, where was this all my life? Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, but Ryle has been there um, Piper, or, or early Piper, was very influence, influential on me. Um, uh, certain period, Thomas Watson, uh, my, my Luke Thomas is named after Thomas Watson, who I think is probably the most accessible Puritan. Um, he's really, uh, Thomas Brooks, uh, also uh, a Puritan. Um, but I, honestly, the gravitational force just kind of goes back to Ryle so much. He's all his his stamps are all over my thinking. So as long as I've known you, you've you've poured into men, and I think we'd all admit that we often struggle to have friendships that are not just about football teams or 
firearms or hunting or something like that. And those are all good things, but, but, but relationships that move us more toward Christ and, and maturity. So talk to us about just in your years of mentoring men and, and helping men cultivate those friendships. What, what factors come to mind? What do you do? How do you help men? How, how can we engage in that better as men with one another? No, it's a great question. It's one I'm asking myself all the time. The, the, the guy in the seminary who poured into me, I remember him saying, discipleship is nothing more and nothing less than a spiritual friendship. Now, you really, I mean, it sounds pretty shallow at first, but you really begin thinking about that. It's a friendship based on maturing your own spiritual pilgrimage. And it's also profound that says if you have a friendship with someone who's a believer, it ought to, the, the, the orbit ought to be around Christ and, and his uh, is in his impact his influence on us not just not just church not just behavior modification not just doing better trying harder being good or um, is a spiritual friendship where we're where and you're right you know I, I, I love football I love hunting um, and it's I have some friends who are like that but we there's one two there's three guys we're probably the closest guys I have as friends at our church right now, and we love to hunt. We go on elk hunt every year. We, we're going on a pig hunt in a couple weeks. Um, but we always, when we get together, say, we love this, but let's make sure, we tell each other, let's make sure that in this conversation we come back to ground zero. Let's, let's make sure that something about our Savior is discussed in this. And I love that about these men. But we have to be deliberate about it. It's, this sounds probably less spiritual. Talking about spiritual things with men is not natural. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because talking about things spiritually is not natural. We're fighting our flesh and, and the, the devil. And, but when you get into it, and those things are important, from the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks, and if that's a part of your life privately, it will be a part publicly. It's just... Giving kind of the permission and the go ahead. Let, let's let's make sure that we're 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 focusing on this. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and we meet with a group. Of, I meet with a group of guys. Uh, when I first came to Mission Road, there was let me cap. There were uh, there were doctrine was important, but it was a little bit scattered. So I got a group of guys, and uh, at 5.30 to 7, every Wednesday morning, for three and a half years, we went through every page, every chapter of Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. Um, they would all read it, I would read it, and I would go through. There were times when we said, this is not what, what we really agree with, but it was good to talk about. Then that changed to what we do now is we have a, we have a two-year cycle of... Um, it's about a semester, fall, spring, fall, spring. It's on Thursday mornings at 6, 6 to 7. And it's uh, character, content, commitment, and um, competency. The first semester is character. We go through the elder qualifications. Not because these are elders, but we say these are the, this is the goal for Christian spiritual maturity as a man. Uh, content, we go through our doctrinal statement. What do we believe and why do we believe it? It's not nearly long enough. Then the next fall we do um, uh, character content commitment, and we talk about the spiritual disciplines. Um, we start with uh, you know, upward, inward, outward worship of the Lord. What that means with our ecclesiology, with our church, inward. How do we uh, um, serve the body? How do we disciple? Are we being discipled? Um, how do we care for our families? And then outward, which is um, evangelism, and then competency, which is what we're in right now. I was just there yesterday morning. Is uh, hermeneutics and we call it hermeneutics and homiletics, but it's not preaching for big church. It's how can you know hermeneutics so well you can lead a family devotion or take your son to a donut shop and, and talk about that. So hermeneutics. We've done that for four, two cycles, four years. This next semester, this next time, we're going to take two years and go through um, Greg Allison's 50 Core Truths of the Christian Life. And it's just basically a shorter version of systematic theology. And cycle through that. So, um, discipleship is is formal and informal. It's curricular, and it's Deuteronomy six, life, life on life, um, as you go. Um, and I think both of those are critically important to keep. 
Staff talks about that. Elders talk about that. If we stop talking about it, I'm afraid we'll, we'll stop doing it. And it's just um, it's easy to kind of elbow out of the way as a priority unless you kind of keep it on the on the front burner. So thinking about the men in your church, and we want to kind of look over your shoulder and, and learn from that too, what are you looking for in terms of the men in your church? What do you want to see in their lives? What are they doing? What does their conversation look like? Yeah. Help okay. us learn what <laughs> what does spiritual health look like for men? You know, I'm, I'm just laughing because it's... Um, all you have to do is be about 10 miles from your church and you're an expert. So I, I love you asking <laughs> these questions, but I would love, I would rather ask you. Yeah. We're trying, but I don't want to come off like, you know, we've kind of wired this thing down and we've got it dialed in. We're still asking those same questions. Um, but mostly is the two things that I look for most are faithfulness and teachability. Because if you're faithful and you're teachable, there's no end to, to, what, to, to your growth. But a guy who's resistant to change, who's resistant to being teachable, who, who's Bullwinkle, some of you guys remember Bullwinkle, Mr. Know-it-all, who knows it all, who can't be corrected. Um, so if a man's correctable, there's a, there's a high ceiling. Uh, and if he's faithful, you have to come. you gotta, you got to show up. you got to get up. you got to go to the meetings. you gotta be, um, you got to do your homework. you gotta, you got to study. You, gotta, um, you have to be faithful. So faithfulness and teachability, I think in my heart are the things that I most value in guys that I, I get to come alongside. What do you say to the man in your church that says, I love Christ, I, I take my faith seriously, but I'm just so intimidated to talk about my faith. You know, uh, I want to read some of these books, but I try and I just I don't get it or, because I, I feel like I don't understand or, or, you know, there's the context is lacking. What do you say to that guy who's just overwhelmed? He wants to grow, but he's overwhelmed by some of the things we're, we're encouraging them to do. Yeah. Um, with a guy like that, I mean, corporately and individually, I would start with, do you understand the gospel? If you don't understand the gospel enough to share the gospel you don't understand the gospel enough to be a believer. You don't understand the gospel enough to go to heaven. If you can't basically explain what it means. So we start with that, and I think that we, then we back into what's your testimony? Asking a guy's testimony is really important because his theology leaks out of that. You know, what do you believe? Now, no one's testimony is perfect, you know. And, you know, what if he forgets to mention the resurrection? And 1 Corinthians 15 says there's no forgiveness of sins without the resurrection. So maybe he's not converted. I, I wouldn't. I mean, you forget things. I understand that. But there, there, I'm just thinking of a guy named Jeff, uh, who last summer, um, August, I remember that because it was really hot. Um, we're sitting outside at a Starbucks, um, and I ask him about his testimony, and he starts like this. Well. I've always been a Christian. And so, you know, my palms start sweating, my, my vagus nerve fires, and, I, and, and he started talking, I started asking him questions. And the more I asked, he didn't really believe that. He just didn't know how to articulate that. And I said, no, hang on. God has no grandchildren, only children. It wasn't because of your parents. Well, what do you mean? I goes, well, that, I mean, I always went to church. Well, that's probably not the best way to say that, Jeff. There has to be a conversion experience. And after we talked and talked, but you're talking about intimidation. Mm-hmm. At the end of that conversation, he says, Rick, I was terrified. My pastor's asking me questions, and I didn't want to get it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're scarier than we think we are. Yeah, so I, he had a credible testimony. He just had never been put on the spot, I don't think, to articulate it. Mm-hmm. And when, you're, when you do that for the first time, you can say really dumb things. Uh, and really inaccurate things. And so we worked for, I don't know, probably a month on his testimony. And I said, I want you to write your testimony. Because he, ne- he says to me, I've never shared my faith with anybody. This guy's mid-50s. And I said, well, here's what I want you to do. Want you- We're going to work on your testimony. Not invent one, but let's articulate it. Make sure, you know, um, you know, we have all the elements in there that are important. And I want you to frame that in an email, and I want you to send that to five people and say, can I tell you something that, that's happened in my life? Yeah. And so just, guys need confidence and training wheels, and because all of us, not them, all of us are intimidated. We don't think we know enough. We don't think we've studied enough. Um, I love what Peter says, you know, in 1 Peter 2. 
always be ready to give. We use it for apologetics, but it's more than that. Be ready to give a defense for the hope where? Within you. I think that's your testimony. So we start with a guy and just say, uh, your testimony, that's what you should own. By the way, if you look, and we may come back to this tomorrow. If you look in the book of Acts, Paul is put on trial for his life, for the, for the resurrection, uh, at least four times and probably more. Council of Jerusalem, Felix, Festus, and Agrippa. All four times, you know what he does? He gives his testimony. He says, let me tell you what happened on the road to Damascus. That's, this is the greatest theologian who's ever lived. And he goes back to, listen, let me tell you what God did in my life. So, if, you can, if a guy can own his testimony, he'll own theology. He'll own his own experience. He'll understand evangelism. He'll understand how to get into a conversation with someone. Very rarely, if you say, do you ever think spiritual thoughts? Or did you know that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? People usually put, hit the brakes. I've never had anyone stop me if I said, can I just tell you in two minutes something just miraculous that's happened in my life? No one has ever said no to that. So just to help a guy on the intimidation factor, own the theology of your testimony, your own experience in the gospel. And I can't tell you, Keith, how many guys we've started with like that who come to an understanding that they don't understand the gospel and they've been converted by actually facing... Their, their own testimony or lack thereof. So That's good. That's good. Okay, so similarly, let's say you got a guy that, you know, is trying to read his Bible, trying to develop spiritual disciplines, and he's never done that before. Mm-hmm. So this is brand new, and he hears his, some of his friends, his pastors, saying, hey, you need to be reading your Bible, and maybe you're following a Bible reading plan, something like that. Mm-hmm. But, but that, again, that's, in, that's intimidating. He's never done it before. He reads it. But how does a man learn the spiritual disciplines, not as just things to go through but to learn to commune with God through those disciplines how do you how do you help a man learn that it's such a good question and I think I answer it I would answer it differently than than I did 10 years ago Um, I love reading the Bible through the I think you should read the Bible through a couple times a year but it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible to read it every year Um, so I think we can get in the in the we can dangerously get into the check the box three chapters a day, six chapters a day, whatever. And that, that's I'm not arguing against that. But I think I, I, with a guy like that, I try to encourage them. Let's start with, and I tell them only read one paragraph a day, because I know if he starts that, he's going to want to read more than that. And I want you to read seven paragraphs in John this week. You know, it's going to basically take it into halfway in chapter two. Just read those seven paragraphs and make sure that they're marked. Most Bibles have a paragraph marker. And then I want to talk to you about, about those things. And then um, here's what I want you to do. Get you a pencil, number two pencil, or a mechanical pencil. And very lightly, when you read a verse that you don't understand or you have questions about, put a question mark there so that we can erase it. And then when we get together, we're going to talk about those things. And um, so some of it is just taking the, the mystery out of it, the... And, and if you tell a guy, we need to read three chapters a day and memorize 17 verses. But some guys are engineers and can do that. Praise God for them. But I would rather a guy read a verse or a paragraph with curiosity and with worship and then build from there. Than, you know, you need, now, I'm not saying it's bad to read more of your Bible than that a day. Please don't hear that. Uh, I just think starting... Very rarely have I done this with a guy who finds himself able to stop at one paragraph. And that's what you want to do, is it becomes this rope that's pulling you in rather than this burden of a box you have to check. Um, I don't know if that can answer the question. That's good. And while I'm asking him questions, I hope you're thinking of questions because in a moment you're going to get Because I'm an expert. I'm away from home. That's right. Yeah. More than 10 miles away from... (laughs) So... uh, um, yeah, so, so let, let's let's go the next step. Um, a lot of us are married. Um, how can we better develop uh, a discipling, a, a, a spiritual friendship with our wives that moves us both toward Christ more? Because that I think that's intimidating. Most of us yeah. would say we outmarried ourselves, right? So my, my wife is more godly than me. That's right. that's hard. Yeah, yeah. 
He didn't argue with that. He knows my wife. So um, he said, yeah, yeah, twice on that. Um, you know, I've changed since when, when, when we first got married. It was like Norman Rockwell photos. We would get together and breakfast and we would have proverbs and it was wonderful. And, and that was good. And, and then we, you had kids. And then we had kids. And then, you know, um, Norman Rockwell's paintings fell off our walls. So, and what I realized then was that this is, this is kind of like one of those rare aha moments in my life is that my main job as a shepherd is not to have devotions with my wife. I think it's great to have devotions with your wife. And to read with my wife. My main job as a shepherd is to make sure she has independent dependence on Christ. And that when we get so, even from then, from the two years into our marriage till now, what we do more than anything else is we come together to talk about what we've done privately with the Lord. And we, we share that that's been far more valuable. We've read books together. We were talking about some books at the table. Those are all books that Kim and I have read together. But the, our richest, deepest time is... Uh, she's going through Galatians right now. So we were talking two nights ago about um, uh, you know, what she... Um, uh, just looking up something that she, she emailed me. Um, uh, from Galatians. And, and she was sharing something. And she gave me this... Um, Quote, and I was blown away by it. She's reading a Luther commentary on it was so rich to hear what the Lord was telling her and what she was learning. And there it is. It's right there. So she, she was reading an old commentary on, uh, uh, by Luther on Galatians, which is his mm-hmm. supposedly his, his greatest work. I mean, I, it's a paragraph. I don't want to read it to you, but... That was so valuable. And I, I think I disciple my wife, but I don't think we should be under any illusion. My wife has a discipleship relationship with me. I learned so much from this woman. And I'm a complementarian. I, I think I'm the leader of my house. But that happens. And it's so rich when we're sharing what the Lord's done with us individually. And then, what we, and then there's an expectation. I, Kim's going to ask me, what I'm learning. <laughs> I like that pressure. So I don't want to say we don't study things together, read things together. We do. But this is the richest part. Luther said, Let us learn, therefore, in great terrors, when our conscience feeleth nothing but sin, and judgeth that God is angry with us, and that Christ has turned his face from us, not to follow the sense and feeling of our own heart, but to stick to the word of God, which says that God is not angry, but looks to the afflicted. And such are the troubled in spirit and tremble at his word that Christ turns not himself away from such as are labor in labor and are heavy laden, but refreshes and comforts them. So she's read that in Galatians five. She she says this. And so I instantly say, email that to me right now. Um, but that was sweet. I, I was so blessed by what she was learning. And th- these things happen every week. Uh, so, um, we're, and you know what it's like being in ministry. You're, you're just kind of always talking about ministry and the Lord and counseling and people. And um, I love that about her. Um, we, we're never, double negative, we're never not talking about something that has to do with the Lord. Um, I mean, she says often, Rick, I don't know what's in your heart, but can I tell you how that sounded? Oh, man. <laughs> it's never going to go well. So um, so all I'm saying is I think we both have, I have a responsibility to make sure is to encourage her, to shepherd her, to be spending private time with the Lord. And then when we come together, our time is so rich because we've done that privately. Right. That's good. So we can start just by sharing, right? Just 100%. Sharing with one another. Okay. Well, let me ask maybe one or two more questions, and then you guys can jump in here. You guys have been so quiet. I feel like this is my ordination. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fail my. Oh, we haven't even gotten to page two yet. Oh, so, oh. Uh, we're, um, no. Um, all of us as men struggle with distractions. I mean, there, there's a thousand distractions. You know, water pipes break, powers out, um, and uh, and I, I just think you know how I had to fight this week to get to my Bible just when life happens, and and it may not be. Horrible things like 
what happened this week. It may just be the normality of the routine, the challenges of everyday life, going to work, paying bills. Yeah. What do you see as some of those distractions that, I mean, those distractions are, are obvious, but what, what do we, how do we handle that? How do we deal with distractions of life that um, inhibit growing with the Lord and, and building into one another? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the battle for all of us, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, Satan is so clever that if you begin to, it's a whack-a-mole, you know, if you begin to deal with a certain le- inclination of your distractions, he comes at you another way. Um, I, 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 please don't hear me saying that I'm not flesh and blood, but, you know, distractions with, with girls and women and lust is different now than it was, you know, 25 years ago or 27 years ago when we were married. Not that it's gone away. Satan distracts me now with good things, more with good things that are not the best things than with just, you know, go turn, look at pornography today. Um, I guess that's a temptation or distraction. That's not what yells in my ear mostly. It's sleep in, don't don't do this, talk to us. So it's spiritual disciplines. There's no real secret to this. and what I was saying earlier about the guy, you know, read a paragraph. I'm kind of a little bit overachiever, obsessive, compulsive, if they want to call that. You know, you know, if I don't have time to read my three chapters, well, I shouldn't. I don't. Have, I shouldn't even read it at all. And I've learned a verse is better than nothing. Just to stop. You know, if you if you got the habit like I do, of, of, or you're trying to read a proverb of, of the day of the month. If I, sometimes I don't get through the whole chapter. Sometimes I need just need to read a verse and maybe go, well, I'm, I'm preaching through Ephesians, and go back to Ephesians, spend five minutes on a passage that will settle and direct my soul. I don't want to say that's enough, but sometimes it is. and Because I can get distracted by, well, I don't have time to do all I want, so I shouldn't do anything kind of thing. Um, but the distractions for me are, are usually good things, um, uh, and sometimes they're u- useless things. I it is not. I'm going to lose my credibility here. I love college football. You, it's nothing. It's easy to watch three games in a, a Saturday. I mean, that's ten hours. Think about that. That's about ten hours if you watch three games. Now I'm doing other things, you know. When I'm, but uh, so. We all waste time. We all so identifying them and knowing where you're weak. Um, but the disciplines of praying and reading your Bible every day, even if it's a 20-second prayer and one verse, that's better than nothing. Mm-hmm. And I find it's really easy for me. You're going to be counseling me in a second. For me to say that's not enough. If I can't do my my four chapters and my my pray through my whole list, then I shouldn't. I'm just not going to do anything. No, it's something's better than nothing. And, and understanding that there's no there's no perfect model. What do you do to feed your heart every day? What, what do you what do you do to commune with the Lord? What does that look like personally for you? Yeah, uh, it looks it's two it's really easy. Uh, well, really really simple to describe. Two two things. I um, I'm trying to read right now a couple of chapters a day. In in, um, in addition to Ephesians, I just started Ephesians and as. I mean, Terry will tell you, when you start a book, I mean, I'm reading it over and over and over. And I want to read it not just for familiarity. I I want it to be devotional. I want that to be my devotions before I ever want it to be someone else's. So right now I'm in a unique situation where I just started Ephesians and I am saturating my mind. I mean, that's... That's what I'm doing. I'm trying to read the other two chapters in the Old Testament. And by the way, that's good if you're not a preacher, too. Absolutely. That's a good 100%. way just to get get a book in your heart, get familiar with it. Where's David Gibson? Read, just read the book, right? Over and over and over? Right? Okay. No, I'm no. Sorry. Go ahead. No, so, one of the things that MacArthur taught us when we, uh, you guys have heard it, read the same thing every day for 30 days. I mean, this is, I've been doing this in Ephesians since October, and uh, I'm finding new stuff every single day. But I, I want that to feed my... My, my, my friends, my people, my, my, our sheep. Um, so I'm in a unique situation like that. And, and I have a, a pretty um, um, detailed prayer list that varies by the day. Certain things are on different days. Mm-hmm. 
and there are certain things that are every day in my my to-do list. You know, there, there's the hot I call it the hot list. If someone's in the hospital, someone's um, I mean, I just literally am sitting over there and just got a text of a, a family that's uh, there. There are four of them and they all they all just tested positive for covid today. And the, um, the wife is like, we don't know if we're going to go to the hospital. So that that just jumped to my hot list for prayer. Um, so and uh, and I keep that with me on my iPad or on my phone so that when I'm driving around or something, uh, I can do that. But I try to pray before. Back to your question. I. I pray for a few minutes before and ask for the illumination of the Spirit of God. Since he wrote it, please show me what's here. It's pretty rote, but very sincere. Then I'll read, and then whatever the, the, the reading kind of typically jars things that I want to pray about, so I'll write those down as I'm, I'm, uh, um, as I'm studying or reading. And, um, and then I go to my day that, you know, this family's every day, but, you know, staff is on Monday, the elders on Tuesday, um, extended families on Wednesday, and I have... Things that are that are like that, but I'm I'm just really. It sounds so disciplined. I am so undisciplined. I have to have training wheels and guardrails on my life. If I don't have those reminders, I get off. Um, usually that's in the morning, but uh, two mornings a week I have a 6 a.m. meeting on Thursday and a 5:30 a.m. meeting on Friday. I don't do that before I do that, so that's usually after that. Mm-hmm. So it's not the same exact time every day. Okay, that's helpful. Okay. What questions do you have? Well, let's close in prayer. This has been fun tonight, <laughs> man. I'm just thankful for your... Yeah. Um, questions you guys have about spiritual life, This is life, so weird. I always feel like so, I'm not the yeah. expert. I should be asking you and Terry questions. I just always feel awkward in these places. Like I'm... I just laugh at myself like I'm an expert. Yeah, Gary. I see that. And here. Just, just for those that are watching online, so we'll put it, give them the mic. Uh, I looked online with MacArthur's men's ministry, and they got about six or seven different time slots that they're doing, different curriculums, different teachers. Uh, So how do they handle actually, like you talked about, mentoring? That's really not in that scope specifically. Yeah, I've been away from Grace for 10 years, so I don't know what they're doing now exactly. When we were there, that was mostly delegated to the individual ministries. There's about, I don't know, 10 fellowship groups. And they we did some things, you know, on Wednesday nights with men's ministry occasionally, corporately. But that was mostly delegated to the smaller. And by smaller, there was a 1,000 in our group. So, um, and several hundred in Grace Life and in mainstream. So... They they did that in the smaller groups and they they did different things. Um, some of it was centralized, some of it was decentralized in the smaller groups. Most of them are decentralized in the smaller groups. They got together as bigger groups once a month, once a quarter. Um, but again, I I don't know what they're doing. I haven't been gone for a decade. And you've essentially followed that same outline you mentioned: the character, content, commitment, and competency. competency yep. Um, you you've done that for. Decades, yeah. right, in one form or another. Or so, College yeah. students, high school yes. students, uh, elders, deacons, just men in your church. Yeah. Yeah. yeah do you have a curriculum? We do. Um, and uh, we, we keep tweaking it as we go through. But, uh, yeah, there's... And we can there, buy that on your, web, on your website? Uh, there may be some outlines on the have, website. Have you printed yeah. it? But have you, is it available for use with other churches? I mean, is that uh, something yes. you share? Yes, uh, there, and there's Not a guy... Not to put you on the spot in front of No, everybody. I can get you... I mean, we, I, we have the handouts that we do, so yeah. Okay. I'm really excited. We've done that for two cycles, and now we're going to do this... I don't know if you've seen that Greg Allison book. It's 50... 50, 50 questions. Core, 50, question, 50, 50 core truths of the Christian life or whatever, so... It's just a shorter version. We're going to take a couple of years and go through that, because I think we have so many new people in our church... That we got to go back and make sure that the basics are covered. Oh, okay. So, how do you, how do you, what have you done to create um, just a mindset of discipleship with men is normal? It's not weird <laughs> for two guys to get together for breakfast and talk about the Bible. Oh, Terry, this is a. Let me, let me tell you a little story about that. When I came to Mission Road, our, our church is Mission Road Bible Church, um, in 2011, I'd been there, I got there in the first week in August, and then by 
January, we had a, our first elders retreat away. And it was a great time. It was one of those pivotal angle-setting moments, I think, for me and for our, 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 our men. We had a great time, great discussion, great prayer, good steak. I remember that, too. Um, when God brought them and grilled them for us, and no restaurant could touch that. Um, so... One of the guys asked me, at impromptu, we were, it was late now, it was a two-night retreat, late in one of the nights, just said, Rick, you, you've been here you know, five, six months, four, five months, and you, what do you think our church needs most now? And I didn't know how prophetic, not a prophet, that was, but I said, I think our doctrine is sound, but our discipleship is really, really anemic. We're, we're, we don't have that. This is—it's not the culture of discipleship, and I long for us to have a culture where discipleship is normal and not weird, and it's—it's it's expected, and it's—it's it's the peer pressures to do it. And they all—we had talked about it for months about that. They agree with that. That's great. And then I remember Mike Walgie, our, our chairman. He said, "How long do you think that'll take us?" And I was being so punk and kind of and I said oh I'll probably it'll probably take us a decade take us 10 years to develop that in my heart thinking about 10 months well we're 10 years in and we're just starting to turn the corner and what we realized a couple years into this is we can't keep teaching it and preaching it we have to do it so um, I remember meeting with with a couple of guys after that Wednesday morning systematic theology we would go to breakfast and just talk. And uh, I remember several times one guy named Bill just saying, You're, I don't, you ask me questions I'm not comfortable answering. Why is that? And then, you know, How, how's it going with your wife? How's it going with your kids? How's it going with your purity? How are you doing turning things off on the television that you shouldn't be watching? And, um, that guy now, Bill, is pro- he's retired now. He probably, I'll bet three or four mornings a week, he's with someone discipling them. And it was because we did it with him. And when I say we, it was a group kind of, it wasn't just Rick and the guys. So I think to create that, Terry, you have to do it and demonstrate it and whoever is your disciple needs to go do it and that's the expectation and it's slow but pretty soon that becomes exponential and those guys start doing it and we're just now starting to get a critical mass and and now with the women too and and we're we're promoting this and pushing this in our care groups so that care groups are not just meetings they're 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 uh they're uh, kind of the collection of disciples and disciplers so we're starting to see it but it's taken us about 10 years to get where where we are now, and we're not close to where we want, where, need, we, where we need to be. Show it and expect someone expect someone to do it. But I think just telling them to go do it, they're going to sit down with somebody and say, "Hi, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, Bible, what's next? What does that mean?" Good question. Yeah. Do, you, do you see it blending in a small group? Um, ministry or is it like is this a men's thing that is meant to build the leadership and what uh, backbone of the church yeah uh, the answer is both I mean we I meet with a group of men every well our elders every Friday morning a group of men about 70 men every Thursday morning who come but we also encourage that there is group discipleship that happens in those care groups and that the care group leaders are being trained to do that because some of that is couples with couples, it's parents with parents and, and that needs to happen um, with with families and with couples, not just men and men and women and women. I, I'm, I'm big with Titus too, men, older men, younger men, older women, younger women, but there's something to be said for... Galatians 6, where you bear one another's burdens and you know each other and you can carry each other's um, uh, concerns as a group. Uh, It doesn't always have to be uh, gender specific. And do you... Is this just the expected... um, I hate the word activity, but activity or body life that, hey, we do small groups, hey, men are meeting together... 
or do you say, hey, join our men's ministry, or you see what I mean? Yeah. Is, it, is it kind of a known to be a, quote, program, or is it just happening because that's how we do body life? I think it's both. We, we promote our men's. Anyone can come at any point in this, this Thursday morning thing. You can come at the next to last week and come and join us. Any man's invited. The care groups are a commitment. And those are way more of a deep dive and way more deliberate uh, and way more individual. Um, you know, but I say that. I don't know. There's probably a dozen guys after... Thursday morning who all go to breakfast and talk about things. So there's just not a one-size-fits-all at, at Mission Road. It, it kind of spins off in different... We have big net to catch a lot of people in different ways. So, yeah, it's just not a... It's not so... There's programs, but it's not so programmatic that if you're if you're an outlier to one part of the program, you have no access point. There's a lot of, lot of places to dive into this stream. So uh, this is more of a practical question. One that I feel like I deal with a lot in my life, I think probably normal guys do. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you guys do as well. So what do you do when you fall off the wagon? You're, you're talking about your devotion time, yeah. your prayer time, something I experience quite frequently. I've kind of got a system of how I deal with it. But, you know, and I'll give you, for instance, this beginning of the year, uh, or at the end of the last year, I closed out my Bible reading program, got through the Bible in a year, Going into this coming year, really wanted to focus more on prayer, and I've been using an app called Prayer Made to do yep. that. I have that map, that app. Really good when yeah. you use it. Worthless when you don't. <laughs> I was going to say, as long as you turn it on and look at it, yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, and this year for my Bible reading program, uh, I've kind of stepped it up a little bit. I wanted to read through the New Testament five times. So really just reading the same chapters every day for five days, and then you move on to the next group. Tyler, will you disciple me? I mean, that's awesome. I, I love that. That's well, I fell off the wagon. <laughs> so I've been playing catch-up. Yeah. Uh, so I would just, I think, for me, benefit me to hear your strategies of when you overextend yourself yeah. in your schedule, which is one I frequently encounter, and you get yourself so exhausted or you get to a place spiritually where you're not caring anymore. What are you, What is your strategies to get back where you need to be? Well, I want to hear you answer this too, Keith. I have found in my own life, especially with Bible reading and Bible reading plans, that if I, if I find myself getting behind, I have set wrong expectations. Um, maybe you don't read five times in a year. Maybe you're reading it twice really slow. Or, uh, so... And, and the reason that I, I would say that, Tyler, is that if you, I'm just speaking from experience, like if I've gotten behind on the, through the Bible and I, you know, it's November and I'm, I got to crank it up through the minor prophets, then I'm, I'm checking the boxes and, and I'm, I'm, I'm completing the task rather than meeting with the living God and his word. I'm just telling you my own heart. So if I'm catching up, my heart's already bent in the wrong way. So, right, I, I agree with you on that. So, I, but this is something I think would happen regardless of, yeah. uh, for at least for me. So, I'm really good at checking boxes. Uh, my issue is so when I go off the wagon, I mean, I fall completely off of it. Everything stops. It's usually surrounding yeah. some schedule issue or you know, be some sin issue in my heart. So, not just. I think that's good advice, but not just uh, dealing with maybe doing too much or expecting too much, but the strategy to get back to where you need to be to focus on those things. Look, I don't know about you guys, but I, I have been a perpetual dieter most of my life. And it's kind of like that. Like if, you, if you've been good, low carb or low calorie, you've done okay for a day or a week or a month, and then you blow it. It's easy to think, well, I'm just going to, I've already blown it, so I'm just going to keep blowing it. Rather than saying, course correction, I'm going to get back on it the next day. Um, and I, I think with Bible reading, it's, it's, it's like that. It's just dump the calendar for a while and say, I'm going to go back to reading three chapters there, or whatever it is, or five chapters. And, and I, I want to do something. Because 
I don't want to be too spooky, but I think that's, that's, that's satanic thought. That's the devil getting in our mind and saying, well, you might as well, you know, stay off the wagon because you fell off. No, get back on. You know, and, and here's the wonderful thing. This is what I know about our God. You can take a hundred steps away from our Savior. And it's only one step back. That's grace. So don't, I would encourage you to get off the OCD kind of, I've got to catch up. No. Maybe I'm going to finish not by December. I'm going to finish next March, but I'm going to finish the right way. And uh, give yourself some grace because God's given you way more than you typically give yourself. I don't know, Keith. You're, you're my counseling guy. What do you say about that? <laughs> I don't know. When that's me falling off the wagon, um, there, there's, a, there's a practical component, right? You know, what's gotten wrong in my schedule, priorities. But let's not overlook just personal repentance, too, saying my heart has gotten to a place where it can be okay away from God, hmm. even for a day. And when that hits me the way it should, it's like, that's dangerous. So just just that meditation, that repentance, that confession to say, Lord, I, I, I need you every hour, like the hymn says. You know, um, you mentioned abiding earlier, just remaining. With, apart from me, you can do nothing. You know? So I think personal repentance for me is the big thing, because when my heart changes, then my schedule is going to change. Then my priorities are going to change. That, right? So, um, then that, you'll want being, to rather than feeling like you right, have to. Right. And that's the, that's right. the hard issue. But, but I like what you said about, you know, it's, it's better to do less amount and have your heart in the right place mm-hmm. than to get caught up. That's just because so, I've blown it so many times. Yeah. I'm telling you. Yeah. Terry, you're going to get all of your 10,000 steps in tonight. Thanks for walking over here and cleaning up the snow today. So uh, what if our problem is that we are a bunch of lone rangers pursuing our, our, our walk with God? Um, and I say that because I'm, I'm probably one of the worst in here in my daily Bible reading, but... There are several things during the week I'm committed to which force me to go in and read my Bible and dig deep, to read slow, to digest what's there so that I can meet with somebody, right? So what if our problem is we are a bunch of lone rangers trying to have our own corrective plans, fixing our own diet plans, but if we were, well, if we were side by side with other men, and there was some aspect of discipline that it forced us to do, to dig, so we can talk and share about a passage. You know, I'm, so an example for me. You know, we just we did chapter 10 of Luke in MacArthur's commentary, uh, and chapter 10 is is Zechariah's prayer, and, and MacArthur goes all in about the covenants, and my brain is spinning trying to comprehend all of this stuff, so we can talk about it. So right. was ours when he preached through that, by the way. But, yeah. <sighs> so, uh, so, but, but my point is, I did dig and I did read and I did study, not because I was personally disciplined, but because I had accountability to somebody mm-hmm. else. So what if our problem is, as a church, right, as a group, as disciples, we're all doing our own thing without any connection to someone else. So the fr- there's four of us that meet Friday morning. And uh, we're forced, <laughs> and I hope they all feel forced, uh, to read a chapter in a commentary and then, and then really go through that passage and the implications. You know, my appreciation for Luke 1 and the miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle that's occurring that we just read through is this story about the angels coming and talking to Mary and Elizabeth and Zechariah. And it's a story in our head, right? It's a tremendous list of miracles culminating in a point where Zechariah is talking when, when John's being baptized. And the people are afraid because they're seeing what is, what's going on in Zechariah's and Elizabeth's life. And they are afraid. That's not because it was a normal everyday event, right? There was something miraculously going on and they recognized it. So I can read that passage 
and I can miss all those miracles. But when we stop and we read a MacArthur verse at a time, and you delve through in this commentary, and then we talk about it right on Fridays, that helps me. So I'm just, I'm just saying, what if our problem is we as guys are not meeting together often enough and just talking about the Bible? And so we need to work. And our, where do we find a commitment to have time to do that? That's going to be a driver for us to do some specific dig, you know, big reading. So I think that's one of the themes I've heard in most of your answers is life on life is irreplaceable, right? Amen. We've got to be with one another. Jesus did it. The apostles did it. With your men, with your wife, with your kids, it's all the same. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Other questions? Carl? In a uh, previous life, job, and everything prior to retirement, um, you had to come up with a, uh, a one-minute elevator speech where you explained what the job was about. So if you were tasked with a one-minute elevator speech on men's ministry at your church and how it does things for others, what would you say? Ready, go. Yeah, that men need to be trained in reference to their identity, who they are. I'm in Ephesians 1, everything's in Christ. So I'm kind of saturated with in Christ right now. That who they are before the Lord as a, as a man is, is their ontology is important. What they do because of who they are. And then um, um, the relationships that God has given them. Family, the saved, the lost. Um, and I would break all that down. We just did this with our men just a few weeks ago is to look at your roles and your goals. This is stuff that you've learned in every time management seminar. Who are your roles? I'm a son of God. I'm a husband of Kim. I'm a father to Luke, John, Mark. I'm a, I'm a pastor to the church. I'm an elder. I'm, an, I'm a the senior pastor. These are my roles that God has given me. What goals do I have that will glorify God in each of those roles and make those my action plans so that life, my philosophy of life becomes actionable. Um, if... If I want to be a better husband, well, that's that's not good enough. I want to spend specific time with him. I want to bring her a Coke Zero with crushed ice from Quick Trip because you know what? She likes the crushed ice at Quick Trip, and it's meaningful to her. And I'm going to do that on my way home, you know, next Wednesday. And so my goals have to be measurable and obtainable. So, um, it, it, you know, this is who I am. What God's called me to, to, to do and to be because of that. And how has he called me to be in ro- roles and goals? Roles is all your relationships. It's the relationships that you have in life. I mean, if a son of God, how, how do I respond? What are my goals as being the son of the living God? And um, to break it down like that. So men, men need structure to think. Women do it way more intuitively and naturally than, than, than we do. And so when you just say to a guy, this is what we just did with our guys in January, list out your roles and have specific, measurable, actionable goals for each of those roles and prioritize your, your roles. I mean, I, I'm a cousin to Steve. Well, I haven't seen Steve in 30 years. Well, that's, that role is not going to have a lot of goals in it. But the main things, that the, your orbit that, that touches your life day in and day out, do you know, do you have specific Measurable, actionable. If you aim at nothing, you hit it every time. You've all heard that. And we aim at nothing pretty easily. And men aim at nothing really easily. Uh, so I took more than a minute. Sorry. You're the guest speaker. We oh, give you grace. A little grace for the yeah, guest that's guy. That's right. All right. Other questions, guys? Yes. So this isn't specific to men's ministry or discipleship, but you said you've been in ministry 40 years. Um, I was a youth, in youth ministry for about three and a half. When I first got into it, it was like, man, I'm excited to teach Scripture verse by verse. I'm excited for biblical counseling. I'm excited to see these, these kids love God and understand His Word. And by the end of the three and a half years, it was like, I don't want to do this anymore. So in your life, I know there's not like a secret, but who has God used and what has God used to keep you from burning out in ministry? Kim, my wife. 
I mean, uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, we were talking about this with, with whether it's depression or, or some people are more inclined to feeling burned out. And, and I, this is not in any way a braggadocious statement. I just don't, I don't, even, I don't typically feel that way. I can feel discouraged. I can feel behind. I, I, I get all that. But when I, when I feel like my train is off the tracks, Kim knows, she sees, she has a spidey sense. She knows something's, something's askew. Um, and so she's the first person that I'll usually hear from and go to. Secondly, it's the, it's the, the group of guys that I hunt with and, and love that I meet with regularly. I would, I hope I would be honest enough to say, guys, my heart's not in the right place. I need to, I need to find fresh ways to repent. You know, Acts 3.19, refresh, uh, repent therefore and return in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. There's a principle there that repentance brings refreshing. So when I'm feeling unrefreshed, or that's the, probably the biblical term for burnout, then there's something I need to find to repent of. Um, and I find that sin hides really, really, it plays hide and seek in my heart in some creative ways where I can't see things. And then, then you start talking to people who know you best and you can see drifts towards sinful decisions that you didn't make this decision in one day. It took you days, weeks, months to get there, but you're there. And so having honest enough conversations with people where I can unpack my life and do surgery on it and, and, and say, why am I feeling this way? I'm not, I'm not saying that burnout's a bad thing or, or a, 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 you know, that I'm above that. I'm not saying that at all. Um, you know, I can be lazy. I can do things that are, that are just probably different versions of the same thing. But it's because of a sin that's crept into my mind, in my life, in my thinking, in my actions. Um, we just need to be fresh repenters every day. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I heard a guy tell me one time, uh, you know, I don't think you remember him, his name was Fred Barshaw. He was at Grace Church. He was one of, a mentor to me back in 1982 when I was out there. And he said, uh, it was a cheesy kind of illustration, but it worked. He said, you're going to have to decide if you're going to be a humming, hummingbird or a, or a hawk. Now, I, we used to go, you know, hunting or playing golf or something and a hawk you can watch a hawk with the thermals in california and it can it can sit up in the air for 20 minutes and never flap its wings once just little adjustments catches a thermal and just just hovers if you watch a hummingbird that's what you know 200 times a second or something and it has to eat its body weight every day and in, in calories he says, are, are you depending, and this is kind of cheesy, but he said, are you depending on the Lord's sustaining graces that he's given you, or are you working yourself, you know? My life verse ministry is Colossians 1, 28 and 29. We proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we might present every man complete in Christ. Then he uses a verb and a, and a participle. For this purpose, I labor, kapiao, and strive, agonizmai, from which we get agonize. I labor and strive. If the verse ended there, I would be discouraged. But it says, according to the power that mightily works within us. That's God's power. So, um, I'm sorry, what was your name again? John. Well, I found if I start feeling that burnout, it's probably because I'm, not, I'm acting on my own strength. I'm not praying. Um, that, frankly, that's that's kind of the linchpin. I, if nine out of ten problems I have in ministry can be traced to a lack of prayer because of my my job. It's not a lack of study. I got to say something every week. It's usually a lack of prayer. Mm-hmm. And when you don't pray, you know what you're announcing to yourself and God that you don't need Him. Mm-hmm. That's a humbling moment. You realize that, so. Bunyan, you can do many things after you have prayed, but you can do nothing else until you have Amen. prayed, right? It's, yeah. This is a guy sitting in prison saying that. So. Well, thanks, guys, for your questions. Thank yeah. you for your time. We, want, we know you've been up since 3 a.m., so we'll get you back, get you a good night's rest. So um, why don't we thank Rick for the...
opportunity to get to know him a little bit tonight and insight. Thank you for listening to Counsel of the Word, a podcast of the Center for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship. CBCD strives to be a blessing to pastors, local churches, and individual believers by providing discipleship and biblical counseling-related training and resources to help address the challenging problems of life. For more information, please visit the CBCD website at thecbcd.org.